So uh, you think reading a book is going to change the setting? You think going to a weekend seminar is going to change 5, 10, 20 years of programming and conditioning? Do you think that that's really going to happen? Part one. So let me take you to part two. He is a serial entrepreneur, international keynote speaker, number one best-selling author. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Oscar Chavez. Welcome to the Business Titans podcast, where we explore everything to do with growing and scaling your business. In this podcast, we talk to world leaders, game changers, and business titans. In this year's series, we'll be exploring the theme Limitless, where you will get to know the most forward-thinking business leaders who break the status quo, hold themselves and others to a higher standard, but most importantly, they generate real results. We kick off our series this year with my guest, John Asaraf. John has built five multi-million dollar companies, written two New York best time selling books and featured in eight movies, including the blockbuster hit, The Secret, The Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. Today, he is the founder and CEO of NeuroGym, a company dedicated to using the most advanced technologies and evidence-based training methods to help individuals unleash their fullest potential and maximize their results. John, how are you going today? I am doing great, Oscar. Great to be with you. I love, I love, I love your introduction. I want to, I want to talk to you today. I mean, you, you're a man that's achieved so much in the world. You, it, it, you're, you're a man that continues to set new levels uh, and attain them. Where did that start? Where was it that you really found your true, authentic self? Because a lot of people find that they chase big goals, but they don't achieve them. Achievement <laughs> is a rarity in today's world. So tell me a little bit about your story. Sure. So where it came from is massive insecurity, thinking I wasn't smart enough or good enough to achieve success. That's where it came from. And that stemmed from failing grade uh, seven English and math, leaving high school at grade 11 because I didn't think I was meant for school. Um, And then having a chance encounter with um, one man who changed the entire trajectory of my life. And at the time, I was uh, 19 years young. I was getting in trouble with the law, doing illegal things, and I was heading either to the morgue or jail. One of those two was was the probability. And my brother arranged for me to have lunch with this gentleman. His name was Alan Brown. And he was a very successful uh, real estate developer, the owner of several real estate offices, an investor, and a philanthropist. And at lunch that my brother arranged, he asked me, like, what were some of my life's goals and dreams? And so I said, well... I'm making $1.65 at this shipping department in this company that I'm working for. I'm living at my parents' house. Uh, I don't have my own car. Um, And I would just love to get a car, move out of my parents' house and make more than $1.65 an hour. And he said, well, that's great, young man. uh, But do you have any bigger goals and dreams? And I said, "Uh, no, I don't. And so he gave me this document. He reached into his briefcase. He gave me this document. And just to put it into perspective, it was 39 or 41 years ago. I was 19. I'm 60 now. And he gave me this document and he said, fill out the answers to these questions. And this is almost, uh, you know, comical. Um, And I'll tell you why. The first question was, at what age do you want to retire? And I'm 19. 
like retire. My father is still driving a taxi cab. Like, what do you mean retire? He's busting his ass. I'm just trying to get started. Um, and um, second question was, uh, how much net worth do you want to have? And I looked at Mr. Brown. I said, what does net worth mean? And I had no idea. Third question was, where do you want to travel? What kind of lifestyle do you want? What kind of car do you want? What kind of home do you want? What, what kind of charitable contributions do you want to make? And I was like, I don't know. And so he said to me, just use your imagination. And if you could wave a magic wand and it could be the way you want, write in some answers. So I wrote down, retire, age 45, net worth $3 million, um, drive Mercedes Benz, four bedroom house, travel the world, Italian clothes. And I wrote down all of this stuff that I just took out of my imagination. And he looked at it and he said, um, this is a really good, you know, start to a vision and some goals. He said, I'm going to ask you one question. And the answer to this one question will determine whether you achieve every one of these things or not. I was like, what? what? One question is going to determine whether I achieve this or not? And um, he leans in, he looks at me, Aaron, he says, um, are you interested in achieving these things or are you committed? I'm like, what? Am I interested? Am I committed? And I didn't know the difference. Nine, I was 19. He says, I said to him, I said, uh, Mr. Brown, um, what's the difference? And he says to me, he said, son, if you're interested, you'll do what's easy and convenient. If you're interested, you'll allow your present circumstances and your past to dictate what you do or don't do. He said, if you're interested, you'll come up with stories, reasons, and excuses why you can't. But when you are committed, you will upgrade your identity to match that destiny. You will upgrade your knowledge and your skills and your beliefs and your behaviors so you become the man who can achieve his goals versus the person who doesn't believe they can. So he says, mm. are you interested or are you committed? And I don't know why, but I just blurted out of my mouth. Well, well, I'm committed. And he says, great reaches out his hand. He says, in that case, I will be your mentor. And I go, wow, uh, uh, what, what's a mentor? <laughs> <laughs> and so he proceeds to tell me what a mentor is. And I'll cut the uh, long story short. Um, the next 18 months, he taught me how to develop the mindset to achieve my goals. He taught me how to develop the skill set to achieve my goals. And I proceeded to make $180,000 for me selling real estate for him on a 50-50 split, which means I made $360,000. He got 180. And then I just continued to develop my skills. And seven years later, when I was 26, I started my own real estate company called Remax of Indiana. And over the next 10 years, I built an 85 office, 1200 person organization that was doing four and a half billion dollars a year for 15 years. That was my first introduction to being an entrepreneur. So not only did I learn from Mr. Brown, but then I taught some of what he taught me and then some um, to my agents whose average income went from $38,000 a year to $120,000 a year, average income per person by getting the mindset right 
as you upgrade your skill set. That's so powerful, John. I mean, the notion of setting goals, because some some of these concepts um, are, are floated around a lot. And, and the more that concepts are floated around, I feel the, the more vague they become because everybody has a different spin on what goal setting should be. Some people say you shouldn't tell your goals to your friends. That That's a philosophy that exists out there. Your mm. philosophy is something in your brain activates when you tell other people your goals. So when, when you well, talk about, yeah. Yeah, and the question is, does it activate the motivational center in your brain or does it activate the fear circuits and center in your brain? So some people should tell others, other people should not. Some people should set big, hairy, audacious goals, others should not. And there is a reason why when you understand how a brain works, every brain works the same. Structurally, the mechanics of every brain works the same. But there are other factors involved when we're talking about setting goals versus achieving goals. We're talking about two different skill sets Mm. and different parts of the brain that are involved. I love it. So let, let's talk about achievement then, right? Let's let's talk about your your journey from 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 being there nineteen to really a four billion dollar company. It sounds like you were able to take a lot of the skill sets and the mindsets uh, that you were given and implement those into into other people, which is what leadership is all about. What what have been some of the most impactful things that you think are important for your for, for people that you're leading to really understand so that they can get to the next level? Sure. So there's a lot of research around identity and the stories we tell ourselves to manage and maintain our current identity. So when you think about what's one of the most important things for us as a human being, right? It's, um, am I good enough? You know, am I smart enough? Am I worthy? Do I fit in? Uh, Will I be loved here and respected and appreciated? And so we all have a self-image of ourself. And the self-image of ourself is backed by our beliefs, our story, and our habits. So when we are in an environment that confirms our self-image, self-worth, and self-esteem, we pretty much just stay where we are. We just reinforce what we are and what we believe to be true. But when we're in an environment that challenges us, challenges us, you know, to augment our self-image, to augment our worth, to augment our identity, now we see that there's room for growth. And it's in the room for growth and being curious and challenged and having fun that we actually activate something in this thing called our neuroplasticity switch. And when our neuroplasticity switch gets activated, we start to develop a new set of what I call our neural patterns and associations around the new self-image. So earlier, before we even started, you talked about selling. People don't sell, okay, what they um, uh, think they can sell or know that they could be able to sell. People sell and close deals based on their conditioning of expectations for themselves. So the question becomes for ourselves as leaders, how do I upgrade my own self-image 
right? So that I can move into that. And how do we take the same concepts around augmenting identity and beliefs and behaviors so that we reset somebody's mindset, like we reset the thermostat, okay, of your, you know, your, the room that you're in or the car that you're driving. So without the resetting of the thermostat, we revert back to all of our old thoughts, emotions, stories, expectations, and the behaviors that follow as a result of that. So behavior is an effect. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what is it that will help an individual stop the, the rebounding from going back to their old identity? Because that's the pull. That's the, that's the draw that, 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 that comes from deep within. And it's a powerful draw, John. It's a very, very powerful draw. How do people move into that elevated state and not just move there? Because it's not about, you know, jumping around and clapping. It's about staying there. How do they, how do, they do that? Yeah. So when we understand a little bit of the neuromechanics, what's going on here is number one, our brain is biologically from billions of years of evolution and let's say a couple hundred thousand years of homo sapiens walking on this little blue planet. We are biologically wired for avoidance of pain or discomfort. We are biologically wired, okay, for survival and safety and we are biologically wired to conserve energy. Mm. So let me put that into perspective. So my new vision and goals, my new income, my new you know, million or 10 million or 100 million or billion dollars that I want my company to do, that's like the new setting. But the old setting and the way that my brain is wired is not for the new, it's for the old. Mm. It's conserving energy to maintain homeostasis and comfort zones. So uh, you think reading a book is going to change the setting? You think going to a weekend seminar is going to change 5, 10, 20 years of programming and conditioning? Do you think that that's really going to happen? Part one. So let me take you to part two. I want yeah. you to imagine that um, you're sitting in Sydney at your favorite little coffee house. And um, you see this... Um, couple of uh, people at a table uh, uh, um, just a little bit away from it, and you realize it's one of the Hollywood actors that you follow. And they turn around, they look at you, and, uh, and they wave, and then they come over to you and go, holy shit, you know, Tom Cruise is walking over to me, or Steven Spielberg's walking over to me, like, what, 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 is he coming here? And Tom Cruise comes to you and says, hey, listen, um, I'm sitting over there reviewing this new script that I just got from one of the top writers in Hollywood. And one of the characters in this script, I mean, you could play this character just the way you look. Um, if I gave you a million dollar contract to learn just five minutes of this script, would you do it? And then if it goes well, um, I will give you the role and we'll hire coaches for you and we'll, we'll give you everything you need so that six months from now, we could film in Hollywood and we'll fly you, of course, there first class on our own jet. Would you say, oh my God, it's scary, but what an opportunity. I'd love to do it. And let's say, Aaron, you said, yeah. They said, okay, Aaron, here's the new script. And you open up the script and it's like, oh, my God, I've got to play a 60-year-old uh, man. I, um, I need to lower my hunch a little bit. 
I need to um, put on 10 pounds of muscle and I need to have like a little bit of an accent that's Russian. Okay. Yeah. Now let's assume that that's what the character requires and you have no idea how to do it. What would your process be to take that character and become one with it so that you would not need the script six months from now? What would your process be? Rehearse every day, calendar it, it just integrate that into my identity. That's what I would do, John. So you'd integrate it into your identity and it doesn't exist now. So you might read it like 500 times. Yep. You might take your cell phone out and record it and listen to it. Yep. You might visualize and see yourself playing the role. You might videotape yourself while you're practicing. You might practice with some other people. You might get an acting coach. You might do research on the project. You would embrace every aspect of this. So you and the role became one so that six months from now, I could tap you on the shoulder out of a deep sleep and I could say, Aaron, time to play the role. And you go, okay, get in state and get into character. Yeah. Oh, so that's how we develop belief patterns in our brain. That's how we upgrade skills in the brain. Yeah, practice makes permanent patterns. Permanent patterns that we practice perfectly, right? Eventually, uh, initially it's not perfect. We're clumsy beginners. But then if we, as we auto-correct or we have help in the correction, now I'm changing my identity from somebody who could not act to, oh, I can do this. From somebody who doesn't have any skill to somebody who's practiced the skill. From somebody who may not believe that you could be an actor, somebody maybe I can be. So when we started to train our real estate agents to up-level their identity, their beliefs, their skills, we didn't just give them books and training. We got them to practice the role of 234X the revenue every single day for six months. My company went from 1.2 billion to four and a half billion in three years. Not because no I taught them any more closing techniques. I created the identity and the beliefs with the behaviors. And then they decided that they were already great closers who love to prospect and love to sell homes etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm. the identity created the behavior while we reinforce the behavior to reinforce the identity. Yeah, that's really powerful. And you know, there's, there's a lot of sales reps that will say to me, you know, Oscar, this should change or, you know, I wish that this would change in the environment or what you need is, you, you know, you've got to fix. And they're always pointing to things outside of themselves. The process that you've articulated, John, sounds to me like it's not it's not the same for everybody it's not a, it's not a simple thing that everybody does and everybody's behaviors then become the same and everybody pack, practices their own behaviors it sounds more like it's 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 at a base level subconscious and maybe they're creating their own behaviors and their own kpis and their own goals is that is that true or how do you how do you balance that out well so let me give you an example um let's say we, we take the uh, the word visualization okay um, visualization is actually a mental simulation. Yep. Visualization is simulation. So when I simulate in my brain, let's say 2xing my income or revenue, 
it may not see, it may not seem or feel the same way to you as it does to me. But the very act of me firing those visual neurons in the occipital lobe of the brain, right? I am now creating a pattern that is different than my current pattern of results. So, <coughs> excuse me, when I am visualizing and I learn to emotionalize what I'm visualizing, which is something I can practice like tennis, now I'm becoming better at activating the visual cortex of my brain, which may not sound that exciting, except my visual cortex is connected to my motivational circuit, the nucleus accumbens and insula circuit in the brain, which releases dopamine. When that dopamine actually activates, it's connected to the behavior or the motor cortex in the brain, kind of like a spark plug giving the spark it needs for the engine to kick on. So now if I activate this part of my brain, which connects to that part of my brain, and that activates this part of my brain, chances are I'm going to get my ass in gear to match the very thing I was visualizing. Yeah, absolutely. So now yeah, so now when we're talking about can I visualize the success I want to achieve? Yes. Can I visualize overcoming obstacles? Can I visualize, deliberately visualize, okay, what I want versus what I don't want? Of course we can. Now, as soon as we start to, for example, use first party or third party um, visualization techniques, now I am actually deliberately and consciously evolving my own neural patterns that have been there for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Now, if I practice these new patterns, whether it's through reading, writing, affirming, promising, declaring, subliminally, visually, emotionally, now the neurons that fire together in a repetitious way create permanent patterns that go from conscious effort to subconscious patterns. So whatever it is that I reinforce becomes the dominant pattern. So either I'm reinforcing the old pattern of what is, or I'm deliberately creating new patterns and then reinforcing those. So then they reinforce themselves because habits reinforce themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love the notion of this. This is, this is fantastic. So, you know, in, in a scenario where let's say now the individual has am amounted a substantial amount of of, of wealth and progress and, and, and success in their lives. And they find themselves in a, in a new venture. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, this is a, a real life situation that one of my clients is going through right now. And they have a, an issue in their business. It's complex. The marketing's not working properly. The, the product launches uh, keep getting stalled. The sales performance is low. They've got too much going on. And there's a lot of, I feel like, or I think that maybe, and there's a lot of there's nothing concrete there. It's like they haven't spent the time to really understand what's going on inside the organization. So I think, you know, the, the question is, when you've got a really complex ecosystem like that, mm -hmm. how do you go through that progress? If you really want to scale the company and you really want to grow it, where would, where would you begin when the complex is so, oh, sorry, when the problem is so complex? Where would you begin, John? So if you think about... Um a very complicated, you know, uh, watch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to tell the time. Now, if there's something wrong with the time, 
wouldn't it make sense that the time is just an effect of something that's happening within the mechanisms of the watch? So part one, part two. Whenever we're looking at effects, we should never okay, get emotional about the effect. We should get curious about the cause. So part three, prescription before diagnostic is reason for malpractice. I love that. I, lo I love that one. That's fantastic. Right. So whenever I go into any company, I seek to understand by doing a diagnostic first. So would you agree that the number of leads prospects that a company gets is an effect of what their marketing initiatives are or yep. selling initiatives are? So I want to know, show me the marketing initiatives. Show me the budget, show me the plan, show me the results. That's going to cause your effect. Marketing, sales, show me the budget, show me the plans, show me the behaviors, show me the effects. I can tell you whether it's broken or not, just like a radiologist, okay, can look at an x-ray and go, holy shit, um, most of the bones are okay. Dun, 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 dun. But there's a fracture here, there's a break here, and there's a lesion over here. Now I know where to go. So diagnostic first. And the same is true of operations, product development. Everything works, okay, based on processes and systems. And either your processes and systems are working to give you the outcome that you want or they're not. And some processes and systems interdepartmentally work or they don't. So I never worry about, listen, if you think about people who go into companies and do turnarounds, they're phenomenal at the diagnostics because they can see the fractures and then they say, this is the most important thing we need to fix. Then this, then this, then this. This is where we have to shed you know, weight and this is where we have to accelerate. Hmm. So when you think about it, it's not fixing 500 different things. It's usually looking at 500 things and fixing the first five that are critical, and then you move to the next three or five. Now, that means we're going to focus on the critical few versus the trivial many. And just like, you know, when you go into, um, uh, think about, um, you, know, you know, doctors in the emergency room, right? What do they do? Imagine that there's been a, an accident on the highway, okay? Hmm. And- 23 people got injured in uh, a bus uh, and 10 people got injured in a three-car pileup and, and, and then they hit a, a, you know, something else. And there's like 40 people that need to be sent to the hospitals. What do the triage doctors know how to do? Quickly assess which is the most threatening. Whose life can we save? Work on that first. Well, how is business any different than that? I love it. It's such a good way to um, to explain it, John. Very, very powerful. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about subconscious programming. I think I think it's very important. It's still 
it can be considered quite vague. We've talked about a couple of techniques that I really love. Uh, visualization, the difference between first and third party visualization, these types of things. Is there, a, is there a system or a process that you use to help someone change their subconscious programming? Or is it is it similar in that there's a diagnostic process and we need to understand and we need to identify criticality and feasibility of change, these things. What Help me run through what, what that looks like in best practice. Sure. So, you know, based on my newest um, uh, Amazon number one best-selling book called Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power, uh, I use a variety of inner sizes to strengthen somebody's focus, awareness, beliefs, habits, etc. So if you think about exercise strengthens your muscles and maybe internal organs, inner size strengthens your neuromuscles. So those are just some visuals for you. So that's part one. Part two Let's ask ourselves a preliminary question first and say, when you were born, Oscar, when I was born, when anybody who's listening was born, were they born with any beliefs? Were they born with any experiences other than childbirth being born? Were they born with any habits? Were they born with uh, giving anything a meaning? Were they born with, with racism or, uh, or poverty or, or extreme? Mm. Were they born with any concepts whatsoever? And the answer is no. They weren't born with the ability to walk. They weren't born with the ability to, to uh, speak a language. They weren't born with the ability to do math. They weren't born with the ability to eat with their left hand or right hand. They were born with some genetic predispositions, but zero beliefs, zero habits, zero paradigms. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the question then becomes is, how did I learn to believe certain things, right? So Oscar, um, did you ever believe in Santa Claus? Absolutely, still do, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So you were in this environment, right? Where Santa Claus was this figure that you believed was real mm. that you know came on a sleigh on Christmas Eve that brought toys and gifts to kids who were naughty. No, 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 nice, be a good boy and you will get gifts and you were, oh my God, anticipation and excitement. And I wanna go like, I wanna wake up early for the first time in my life to see what <laughs> present Santa left for me. And then you develop this neural network and pattern and expectations around Santa Claus and the North Pole and, and all of this stuff. And at a certain point as you got older, and you were able to use your own deductive reasoning or, or parents or siblings told you, hey, Oscar, Santa's not real. <laughs> what, what? What What do you mean Santa's not real? No, that's dad dressed up, you know, in, you know, the Santa over at the mall where you're taking pictures. That's not really Santa. And so you got a new awareness and new information that overrode your beliefs around Santa, even though you believed in Santa, oh my God, and you maybe even believed in the tooth fairy, you know? So mm -hmm. these were things that our parents, teachers and experiences, okay, created these neural patterns in the brain, cells that created connections, connections that were reinfaced became reality. So if it's true that Neural networks or patterns were created because of information, because of repetition, because of experience, because of authority. My question for you is, is it possible 
Some of your beliefs empower you and some do not. Some of your beliefs are positive and some are negative. Some are constructive and some are not. Is it possible? If they're nothing more than reinforced patterns that we got when we were kids and then reinforced into adulthood, is it possible that some of those patterns no longer serve us? Now, of course, the answer is yes. That's what a habit is. Now, habits are hard to make and hard to break. So my question for you is, can I take a vision or a goal that I have? And can I ask myself, if I'm committed to achieving that goal, what is one keystone belief that if I had that belief, that goal is like, it's a foregone conclusion. No freaking way am I not achieving that goal. So Mm. what if I said to you, Oscar, write that goal down, write the belief that you would need to have. Because if you had that belief, it would help you be bigger than the fear. It would help you be bigger than the maybe low self-worth, low self-esteem, the limiting beliefs, and maybe even the fear of failure. What belief would you have to have that would be bigger than all of those other things? It's like a Trump belief, not a Donald Trump belief, but a belief that trumps all the other stuff. And what if you wrote that down? The belief is not true now. Let's go back to our story about the Hollywood actor or actress, Mm. right? What if I took that belief and every day I read it, I visualized it, I emotionalized it, I recorded it, I listened to it, and, and I behaved in ways that are congruent and consistent with that belief. What if that's all I did for 100 days? Why 100 days? Well, we know from all the brain research, and as a behavioral neuroscience researcher, this is what I do every day. We know that when we practice a pattern, I don't care if it's music, Uh, I don't care if it's tennis. I don't care if it's playing chess. I don't care if it's taking a belief that's not true right now and practicing that belief. I actually am going to create a new neural pattern. We know it takes 66 days to 365 days, not seven, not 14, not 21, not 30. 66 days to 365 days to create and reinforce a new pattern that will override an old pattern. So now what if I said to you, I guarantee you, give me 100 days of repeating and behaving this way. It will then override that way. This will become easy to let go of. This will become dominant. Hmm. So my job is to choose the vision that I'm committed to. Choose the goals on the way to the vision and then reverse engineer what are the beliefs, what are the habits, and what are the behaviors that I have to reinforce no matter what. Now, Hmm. the only reason I'm going to do the no matter what part is if I'm freaking committed, not interested. Interested people do what's convenient and easy. Committed people do whatever it takes. So first and foremost, for all of you listening, stop setting goals you're not committed to achieving. Save yourself the heartache, save yourself the mental anguish, and save yourself the thing that is going to hold you back forever is you're going to lose trust in yourself and you're going to do something called disappointment avoidance. 
you're going to start avoiding disappointing yourself and you're going to reinforce your current identity. So any goal you have, binary question, interested or committed, period. There is no in between. Really powerful. Really powerful. And, and, and the reason I love it so much is because I've, I've, I've talked at depth around the world about the, what I call Baho, which is beliefs turn into actions, which turn into habits, which turn into outcomes. You've, you've so elegantly shown the audience how to convert this into, into effective goal setting for people to really scale. What, I mean, it's not just scaling a business, right? It's about being all that they can be. John, what is it, what is it that drives you? What is it that, because you've, you've achieved a lot. And so what is it that, what's that intrinsic motivation that you're tied into that keeps, I mean, you must get tired, you're a human being like everybody else. What is it that really cranks okay. John forward? I personally believe I've been given a set of skills and awareness through my life's trials and tribulations, failures and successes. And there's certain things that are really easy for me to comprehend now. And I happen to love neuroscience and neuropsychology. Uh, and I love to um, not only understand it, but I love to apply it and then share what I've learned with others. Why? I believe that I'm here as a servant leader of self first and then to share what I've learned to make other people's journey just a little bit easier, if I can, so that my life has purpose and meaning. Beyond you know, achieving goals, uh, how can I take what I have and, and share it with another human being so that they smile a little bit more, they're happier, they achieve more, they, they're wonderful to their children, their spouse, their community. Uh, like, it, like, isn't that what we're here for? Like, I know that, you know, in, in, um, um, in one of the Bible passages, you know, it says, I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't agree with that. I, I am my brother's keeper. And my brother is my keeper. And if I look out for you, and you look out for me, holy shit, we lift each other up as we climb and figure this out. So I want my life to be used in a way that doesn't just empower me, I want my life to be used in a way that everybody feels empowered. And we're so blessed in, in, in the time that we live. Oh my God, all the how-to that we need is like readily available. <laughs> like we're not like, I'm not trying to figure out how to colonize Mars, right? I'm, I'm just like, how, how do I, you know, how do I stay healthy? How do I have more energy? How, how do I love my life more? How do I, you know, uh, have more, do more, be more, give more uh, in health, wealth, relationships, career, business? Um, th there's an abundance. And if it's a matter of uh, using my talents to figure some stuff out that's easy for me, and I could like your path, holy shit. Like, wow, what a gift. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love how passionate and and i love that you also started the, the statement with i believe i believe so it's just it's it's just really powerful to hear what drives and motivates people um what what are some of the other things that you've seen in in business that have been eye-opening for you that you thought if i only knew this 20 years ago if i and, and we've talked about some things and, and you might even want to touch on them again but what are some of those other things that have been real eye-openers for you john yeah let me show you instead of telling you i'm gonna I'm going to get some props over here. 
and I, and I love to use this as a teaching example because of, um, of what I know about this human brain, which is, as I mentioned, the passion. Um, let's say um, you want to solve the Rubik's Cube, a two by two, right? Do we know how to achieve this? Do we know how? If we are committed, can you and I go to YouTube right now and just follow the step-by-step -step process following someone on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. What if we say, that's easy. Um, I really want to solve the three by three. Can we go to YouTube and find the three by three? Yeah. Come on, that's for amateurs. I want the four by four, right? Um, is the how to achieve it available on YouTube in a book, through a coach, a course, a program, uh, a family member? Is that available? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, come on, what are you playing games? Let's go for the five by five, right? How do we solve this one? Um, do we know how to do that? Are there people that know how to do this in minutes? Yeah. Well, let's say this is your, you know, hundred to $250,000 business. And this is your 500 to a million dollar business. And this is your, you know, million to $10 million business. And this is your 10 million to hundred million dollar business. What about the billion dollar business? <laughs> I've not seen that before. That is, that is good. So the question becomes, Every brain works the same. If I focus on this or this or this or this, this thing is going to work to focus on what it is that I think I can achieve or what it is I want to achieve. And the truth of the matter is there are people who these things are like so far out of, you know, what they want to do because they've done these so many times. They're only interested in this. So my question for you, and you asked me a question, is I learned early on, okay, the people that mentored me, okay, their companies back then were doing a billion dollars. They taught me how to think here right off the bat. So I went from me thinking I could only achieve this to me thinking, holy shit, um, I'm going to set a billion dollar goal. Why? Because that was what I was taught. And then I went on and built my second company. We raised $28 million and took it public on NASDAQ nine months later. It was worth two and a half billion dollars because my frame of what I was working on and the people that I attracted and the money that we brought in was at the level of the game we chose to play. Hmm. So in life, we can choose, do we want to play at the kindergarten level, grade school level, high school level, university level, pro level, hall of fame, all-star team? Like what level do we want to play? Because the level that we choose to play is the directive we are giving our brain to what to focus on. And if it's true that how to exists for both of these, why fuck around with small goals? Mm. Sorry, I don't swear often, but like, why? Like, the only reason we will is because we don't think I don't have the skill. I don't have the knowledge. I, I'm, am I good enough to solve this? Am I, am I like, well, if you're committed, you can get help. But what's going to be bigger, your commitment and resolve or your excuses? Like, which one? You can have both, but not on the same day. <laughs> right, so what's going to be the way you live your life? 
Stories, reasons, excuses, limitations, fears, fear of failure, fear of success and failure, fear of risking what you've got, fear of being embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, fear of disappointing yourself again. Like, is that going to drive your life? Or are you going to live your life saying, yeah, I'm going, I'm freaking going for gold. Hmm. Going for gold doesn't mean that you're not afraid of losing. Going for gold means you're going to do everything possible to win gold. Yeah. It's a matter of where you're placing your focus. And since we can take a hundred billion of our brain cells and we can upgrade our focus and concentration muscles, neuro muscles to focus on this instead of this or this instead of that. Now, listen, not everybody wants a billion dollar company. I get that. But whatever level you choose, don't choose the level based on what you think you can achieve with your current beliefs and habits and skills. Use a higher cortical functioning part of your brain. I call it the Einstein part of your brain, right? That can imagine and use your deductive reasoning skills versus the Frankenstein's monster part of your brain that's always going, what if you fail? What if this doesn't work out? What if you lose? What if you stall? What if negative? That's a sensor that's highly developed in every brain. You and I need to learn how to manage that and activate that more often. Mm -hmm. That I love it. is a skill. I love it. Everybody can get better at it. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. What what would you say, John, are the hallmarks of a great business? How do you how do you look at a business and go, yep, that has immense potential? What what are the what are the hallmarks and the things you're looking for? Well, first, is there a need in the marketplace for it, of course, a product or a service? Um, how good is it compared to other people? Does it really do what it promises to do? And especially in today's day and age, we have a very skeptical audience, mm. right, who's been screwed, right? So they're on high alert. Um, and then is it a business that can actually work for me versus me working for it? Meaning... In business, is like, it's kind of like money. Uh, I teach this uh, pile theory and stream theory of money and assets. So a business that you build should be a, like a building, okay? And the building should, you know, have a cash flow as a result of building it. Now, if you constantly have to, you know, be the generator of the income. You don't have a business, you have a job. So my question for, you know, I, I coach, you know, lots of entrepreneurs is what are you building? Are you building a high paying job or are you actually building a business? Like which are you building? And if you're building a business, then the question is at what point does the business actually work for you and it becomes your pile and your stream? Mm. Right? So now you have the business as an asset, but you also have the cash flow to fund growth and to fund your lifestyle, to fund you know, uh, the impact you can have in the world. So what are you actually building? Mm. 
right? So I'll give you an example. I have a, a client, Danny, that uh, just sold his company. He was doing a billion dollars a year in real estate. Uh, it was by accident that I, I, you know, he happened to be in real estate as well. And he said, um, I want to um, um, build my coaching consulting practice to help entrepreneurs. And I go, okay, um, what's your business model? He goes, well, I want to coach entrepreneurs. I said, okay, so what you're saying is you want to trade your time for money. I said, well, can you coach entrepreneurs by creating programs that entrepreneurs can go through without you? He said, yeah. I said, okay. And would you like to get your business to the point where you can take all of your knowledge and put them into programs that people could pay you without you coaching them. He goes, wow, I'd love that. I said, great. Now we're talking about you having a business versus you having a high paying job. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So my business, okay, is based on 95% of my revenue. Every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year is automated revenue based on processes and systems that we have built for lead generation, lead qualification, lead conversion, and lead nurturing if they didn't buy and then we have systems and processes to upsell, downsell, cross-sell once we have somebody that's already bought one of our programs. So we think first, build, implement, optimize, let it run. So we have a fairly healthy eight-figure-a-year business that doesn't require me most of the time. In the coaching, consulting, personal development field, Whereas most of my counterparts, whether it's Tony Robbins or anybody else, if they're not the ones delivering, they've got Zippo revenue. Mm. So what's your business doing? So how do you get your business to the point where it can work through the processes and systems you've put in place that are scalable so that at one point or another, the business is saleable? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, John, look, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your generosity and sharing so much wisdom, uh, passion, purpose. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you, John? I think you covered, you know, the brain stuff, the business stuff. And uh, thank you for uh, letting me uh, serve. Wonderful. Thank you so much, John. One moment.